the merger that took place about a year ago, um, one of the things that we begin to talk about is, you know, it's important that people understand what the purpose of the church is, what their function is, what our functions are. And as you remember, we um, talked about the role of the shepherd, um, and then we start talking about some of the metaphors that are seen in the Bible for the church, the building, the temple, right, the bride of Christ. Um, but it's important for us as pastors to make sure that you all understand biblically what is the church, what is its function, what is its purpose, what is its design, okay? It, it's our job as shepherds to make sure you biblically understand that. Well, why? Well, ultimately, because he and I are going to give an account for the sheep that he has brought into our midst to shepherd. So that's a sobering thing for me as a pastor. I know uh, Pastor Emmanuel would say the same thing, to think about God calling us into, a, in, into an account for how we shepherded the flock that he entrusted to us. I don't take that lightly. Um, I don't, quite frankly, like that. And so at some level, to be honest, but here's how you know you're called, because you can't run from it. When I talk to a lot of young guys who are like, yeah, I'm trying to decide whether I can go into ministry, whether I should, whether I, I tell them, I say, if you can do something else, go do it. So th this is not like, oh, I think it'd be cool to be a pastor. No, no this, is not, this is not what this is. <laughs> because the Bible says that we will be held accountable for those souls that he entrusted to us. So that we live with that weight. And, and so as we continue this series on the church, you know, I, I said before that all theology has practical outworkings, right? You get a lot of biblical knowledge, but then you, you have to answer the so what? Like, what does it mean for my life, right? And so as we continue to go through this series and talk about the purpose and we talk about the design of the church, we're going to talk about the giftedness that God has given you guys. What is your role in the church, right? Building one another up, edifying one another. Like, what does that practically look like? When we finish this series, one of the things that we desire to do, that we want to sit and meet with each and every one of you and say, okay, you've heard a lot of teaching on the church. Are there any questions? Do you understand? And you don't have to wait for that meeting, by the way, if you have questions, you know. But now that you understand God's purpose for the church, God's design, your function in the church, our function in the church, here's the key question we're going to ask you. Do you want to be a sheep at Hope? One of the sheep. So that, that has tremendous weight to it. Okay, so that's coming. I can't even tell you when because we're going through the series, right? I'm hoping it's going to happen sometime this year. Um, but then you have to go before God and you have to pray and say, understanding all the implications of what it means to be part of a church, biblically, is this where I want to cast my lot? Amen?
Now we know who God has brought to us to shepherd. Does that make sense? Does, does this all make sense? Okay. So, where are we today? When we talk about the purpose of the church, one of the things we're going to talk about today, which maybe we don't look at sometimes as the purpose of the church, because I think a lot of times when you say, hey, what's the purpose of the church? We jump right to the activity. And, and that is one of the purposes of the church. God has given gifts to men, meaning male and female, to use in the church for the upbuilding of the body. So the activity is a part. That is one of the purposes. That's not the purpose I'm focusing on today. The purpose I'm focusing on today is God's dwelling place. That one of the purposes of the church, it is a dwelling place where God uniquely dwells among us as we meet corporately. I don't know if you often think about the, one of the purposes of the church as being so let's ask God's blessing, and we're going to jump in today. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather in your name. Lord, that we have a place to meet as the church. And, Father, we can get into your word that changes our thinking, and ultimately it transforms our lives. So we pray for that this morning. Father, that each and every one of us, our hearts, would be turned towards you. Help us to stay focused on what your Holy Spirit is ministering to each and every one of us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. One of the principles of, of Scripture, when you go into Scripture and you begin to look at theological truths, and, and we'll learn this in the, the new Sunday School course coming up, is oftentimes God is giving a theological truth or a principle that you can trace through all of Scripture. Okay, does that make sense? Like when we talk about the sacrifices, you can see the sacrifices in the Old Testament, right? You, you can trace them all the way up until the time of Christ, where now Christ becomes the total fulfillment of those sacrifices, okay? You can look at all the ceremonial laws, right? All the cleansing, all the things that they were told to do to be a separate people. You can trace that all through the Old Testament. Then it comes to Christ, and then Christ is it's not about washing your hands. It's about being cleansed from the inside out. And I'm the only one that can do that. So you see all these themes in Scripture that ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And, and that's, that's a, a question that, that, that we should always be asking as I'm reading a particular text. What does this have to do with Jesus Christ? Because if he said, I am the fulfillment of all things, Right? I didn't come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill all of that. We have to be asking ourselves, where is this being manifested in the person of Christ? And so when we look at the dwelling place, we're going to go back. We're talking about the church as his dwelling, but we're going to go back to the Old Testament. And we're going to see this concept. I'll give it to you up front. God desires to dwell among his people. God desires to dwell among his people. And we see that theme throughout all of scripture. So let's go and look at God's presence in the garden. Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man 
and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. If they hid themselves from the presence, what's implied there? At one time, they were with him. And of course, you know, in this, this portion of Scripture, this is where sin has now entered into God's creation. So prior to them disobeying God, they walked with God. And we don't know how long that happened. Was that, I don't, was that a day? Was that two? Like, how long before man messed up? Right? We don't, but we know it doesn't take long for us to mess up. The point is, they were walking with God. The garden, if you will, was God's first initial sanctuary where everything was perfect. And they walked with him in the coolness of the day until sin entered. Now we see them hiding from the presence of God. So again, what is it from the very beginning that has separated us from this holy God? Sin. Where we had that communion with God, where Adam and Eve could experience the totality of being in God's presence with no sin. We can't even imagine what that would be like. They had it. And then sin entered in and disrupted that union. Take a look at Exodus 25, 1 to 5. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. Health and wealth preachers love to preach that verse, and they stop right there. Okay, From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Now, look at some of this stuff. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, Achaia wood. Like, okay, what's going on here? All right, remember, we're going back. You got the garden, perfect sanctuary of God, fellowship. Sin enters into the world, fellowship broken. Now we're fast-forwarding to the nation of Israel. They're in bondage, and what does God do? He brings them out of bondage. Are they still a sinful people? Yes, they're still a sinful people. Sin came into the world through Adam. So God works with the nation of Israel, brings them up out of Egypt, and now he's giving Moses instructions on the tabernacle. See, God still has a desire to dwell among his people, but there's an issue. What is that issue? Sin. So now he says, start taking collections. I'm going to have you build a tabernacle, and I will be in that tabernacle that I might dwell among my people. But the dwelling is a little different, isn't it? It's not like in the garden where they freely walked with God. As we're going to see with the tabernacle, now there were barriers. There were perimeters put in place. You cannot just walk into God's presence. Only the high priest could do that. So God is still present among them, 
but they're now conditioned. Let's keep reading in Exodus as they're collecting all these things. Verse 6, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary. There it is. That I may, what? Dwell in their midst. God has a desire to dwell among us. He dwelt with Adam and Eve, unfeathered, unfeathered. Sin came into the world. Now you see him dwelling with his people, but now there are conditions. And so he gives him all of this instruction, and he says, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all and of all its furniture, so you shall make. And I would encourage you sometimes to read Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28. You know what all those chapters are about? All of the contents of the tabernacle. Amen. Three, four chapters from, from, from the robe to the tent to the articles that are in there, all of this precision where God says, make it according to this. Wow. Why, why can't we just, like, just put up a tent and put a little altar in the middle, and that's where we'll do our sacrifices, Lord? Read those chapters, and you'll see the immense detail that he gives. No, I want this tabernacle, my dwelling place, a very particular way. Why does he do that? Well, real simple, because God's holy. God's holy. And they had to go through these extenuating measurements and all of these things for where God is going to dwell. Why? Trying to teach Israel a lesson. I am a holy God. You don't just approach me any kind of way. As a matter of fact, you can't approach me. Only the high priest can. And if he don't do things right while he's in the holy of holies, he'll drop dead. Can you imagine living during that time? That's why the high priest had bells on the end of his robe. Because when he went into the Holy of Holies and offered the sacrifice and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, which is where the presence of God would come, if he didn't do everything right, and you stop hearing the bells, you know, oh, he messed up. He, he cut something. He did something wrong. So they had a rope tied to his ankle. Why? Because I'm not going in there. And they would pull them out. So the bells, you hear the bells? No. How long it been? Dead. You say, man, that's a little melodramatic. No, God's holy. See, you, you got to keep this in mind. Keep this backdrop in mind. God is demonstrating his holiness. You can't approach God any kind of way. So Moses is given all of the instruction on how to make all this furniture and make it out of a certain pattern, and everything had to be just right. And then with this first tabernacle, when they would make this, when it was time to move, they had to pack it all up and move. It was a portable tabernacle. Now, now just, just try to put your head there, right? 
When this thing is all set up and only the Levites and the high priests are allowed in the outer court and only the, the, the high priest can go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, like all of this stuff and people dropping dead if you do the wrong thing, I would not want to be on the crew that had to pack it all up. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being, right? Like, yo, Darian, um, you want to go grab the Ark of the Covenant? No, I'm good. You grab it. Because they had to move it. And that's why there were rings in the box to slip the poles through that you don't touch the Ark of the Covenant and you lift it. And the altar had rings through it that you lift it, but don't touch it. I would be scared to death to mess with any of that furniture. Think about that. But this was the tabernacle that God had Moses construct. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. And here the writer of Hebrews is referring back to this tabernacle and the sacrifices. Look at what he says. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Where was that? The tabernacle. The holy of holies. For a tent was prepared. We just read about that. In Exodus, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. That was 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. It is called the holy place. So now now the writer of Hebrews is describing what happened in the Old Testament. And then behind the second curtain was a section called the most holy place. That's only where the high priest could go. And again, if you have time sometimes, just, just go on, on Google and punch in the tabernacle, and you'll see this structure. Notice what the writer says. Having the golden altar, this is what was in the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, and which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. That's what was in the Ark of the Covenant. And we could do a whole series on just all those pieces. What do Because all of those pieces have symbolism. Okay, but we're going to move on for now. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Even I love the writer. He said, I'm not going to go into all the detail about what all that means. He has a bigger point he's trying to make. Okay? Watch his point. Look at what he says in verse 6. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing the ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. And he but once a year, it's called Yom Kippur in the Jewish calendar, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So the writer of Hebrews is referring back to this Old Testament tabernacle and saying why it was so important. This is where God dwelt on earth. This is where the high priest went in for your sins to be forgiven. What's his point? 
Because later on in the book of Hebrews, he's going to say, but we now have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who walked into the Holy of Holies, climbed up on the altar, sacrificed himself. So the priest became also the sacrifice. And the veil was torn. Do you get that? Well, could you check somebody just for a minute? The, 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 the separation, the separation of God and man. And again, every Jewish person would have understood how heavy this was because they understood the tabernacle. They even understood after the tabernacle, and then David wanted to build the temple for God, a sanctuary. And he says, no, 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 Solomon's going to build it. Then Solomon builds the temple, right? And then Herod builds the temple. And all of those structures that they built, it was with the same idea, with the Holy of Holies where they go in the sacrifice. And now the Hebrew writer says, Jesus walks in and sacrifices once for all sin, removing the veil. Wow. And that's talking about you and I, that we no longer have that fear. We, we, we don't have to be listening on the outside of the Holy of Holies and seeing if the bells are going to stop ringing. I, I mean, let that rest in. No, you know what the Bible says to those who know Jesus Christ? Boldly come to the throne of grace. Boldly? Yes. Because you are in Christ. The blood has been shed. You now have total access to the Father. Wow. Praise God for that. Amen? And so... Now, where God dwelt in a tabernacle, look, look, look at the contents of, of, of the tabernacle. And again, we're, we're not going to go into all of these different pieces. But the Ark of the Covenant, the table for bread, the golden lampstand, the tabernacle itself, with all of the dimensions and the type of linen that it had to be, the type of wood that it had to be. The bronze altar, the court of the tabernacle, the oil for the lamps, the priest's garments. All of this stuff gave this message to the people of Israel. God is a holy God. Let's, let's, let's look at some of the truths here. God's holiness is priority. Number one, God's holiness is priority. God desired to dwell among his people. Again, remember their sinfulness. Right? Remember that, that sweet fellowship that we had in the garden, broken because of Adam's sin. From that point on until the time of Jesus Christ, now a tabernacle was where God met people. Through a building arranged the way God said to arrange it with only one man having the privilege of literally going in to where God's presence was, the Holy of Holies. That's how it is, all the way up until the time of Jesus Christ. 
And then when Jesus Christ comes, all of that radically changed. <laughs> Praise God. So we see that God's holiness is priority. God's desire to dwell among his people. God takes sin seriously. That's why they couldn't just walk in there. And God provided the means in which man could interact with him. How? Through the tabernacle, it was through the priest. Through the priest offering a sacrifice of sin for them so that their fellowship with the holy God would be maintained. So the Levites, the priests, and the high priests, they were the in-between people that worked the tabernacle according to God in order to give sacrifices for our sins. Can you imagine living that way for hundreds of years as a Jewish person? Now fast forward to the time of Jesus Christ. Now do you feel the weight when Jesus Christ walks out and turns around and looks at the temple and says, this is going to be destroyed and not one stone is going to be left. Wait, what? After all these years of temple, temple, God's dwelling, God's dwelling, that's going to be destroyed? But that's where we meet God. See, even the disciples didn't quite get it. Remember when Jesus was at the, uh, at the well with the woman? At the well, right? And they got into the religious conversation? And, 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 and what did she say? Well, 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 we worship on this mountain. Well, 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 you say you worship in Jerusalem. Well, we worship here. And our fathers built this well. And Jesus is like, listen, the day's coming where it don't matter if you worship in Samaria or Jerusalem. They will worship in spirit and in truth. I don't know. You, we we got to understand the weight of that statement. What was he essentially saying? No temple needed. No sacrifices needed. Because she was looking at the one who came to offer the very last sacrifice that was going to be offered for the sin of mankind. Amen? So these truths from the dwelling place, tabernacle of God. Now, let's look at the new dwelling place of God with, with, with that backdrop, okay? Hear, hearing all of that, let's look at the new dwelling place of God, which now is the people of God. Now, if you understand the tabernacle and everything we just said and how important it was for them to approach God the way God said through the priest, now look at what he says in Acts 7. This is where Stephen is giving a defense for the gospel. Notice what he says. Our fathers had the tent of witness, that's the tabernacle, in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses, directing him to make it. We read those verses in Exodus. According to the pattern that he had seen. This is Stephen now giving his defense to the religious people who want to know, why are you preaching this Jesus Christ? Why are you preaching this gospel? This is Stephen's defense. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua 
when they disposed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. And then, remember, this, was, this first tabernacle was portable. They broke it down. They brought it into the promised land, set it back up. Okay? So it was until the days of David. And then, remember, David now wanted to build the temple. Okay? So track the history. Who found favor in the sight of God, and he asked to find a what for God? Dwelling place. See, David understood. We have this, this tabernacle that we, we break down, we set it back up, we do our sacrifices to maintain our relationship with God. But now we got to move. Now we got to break it down. So now they come into the promised land. David's like, you know what? It's time to build a permanent structure. Makes sense, right? So David asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Here it is. Now notice what Stephen is saying now. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Oh. Well, what happened? Because that's what he did for hundreds of years. But Jesus changed all of that. Amen? As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne. Now Stephen is quoting from the book of Isaiah. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. I love this. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? And then, wait, but, uh, but the tabernacle, like you told us back in Exodus, to build that and your presence would come. It was an object lesson. You think you can really build me a house? What? Look, look at what he says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, no, you're going to build a house that can contain me? Are you getting it? You realize how big I am? You can't contain me. Well, then why did he have them build this house? Because it was all object lessons pointing to what Jesus would ultimately do. Again, all of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. But you got to understand, these Jewish people hearing Stephen are probably scratching their head like, mm, but the tabernacle was given by Jehovah. You can see why they were wrestling with that. So Stephen says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You think you would actually build a house that can contain me? Yeah, I understand in Exodus I told you to get the linen, the wood, the gold, the silver, the stones. Yes, and to use those materials. But you do realize I made those materials. <laughs> That's what he's saying. It was for a time, for a particular season of time. Because I want to drill into you, Israel, that I'm holy. I want to drill into you that you just can't come walking up on me any kind of way. As a matter of fact, if anybody other than the Levites or the high priest came walking in that, that area, dead. God wasn't playing. I'm holy. And imagine being raised in that culture where that's drilled in your mind. And then Jesus Christ comes and says, that temple's coming down. 
It's me that you need to trust in, not the sacrifices of the priests. That was all pointing to me. So the writer of Hebrews says Jesus Christ once went into the Holy of Holies. He laid down his life, died for all of our sins. One sacrifice. No tabernacle needed in the temple. High priests are out of a job. Wow. And that's where you and I come in. You say, well, all throughout biblical history, it was about a dwelling place for God. Started in the garden. Sin separated us from God. So now God said, you're sinful, but I still want to dwell with you. But now it'll be through a building. Then Jesus Christ comes and says, you don't need the building anymore. Now you can fellowship with God through me. Because I've died for your sins. Can you imagine the freedom that these first century Jews would have experienced? Like, no, no more sacrifice? Like, yes, but I, I, I want to talk to God. Where's the priest? No, talk to your father. You got total access. Jesus Christ has paid it all. I don't know if we realize that sometimes. Like, you could be walking down the street and talk to the God of the universe. And he's right there. And he hears you. You don't have to travel to a tabernacle. Amen. Look at Ephesians 2. Here the writer, Paul, is talking about the Jews and Gentiles that are true believers. And he's trying to explain to them, listen, your relationship with God has radically changed. And your relationship with one another has radically changed. There's no more Jew here and Gentile here. No, you guys are now one. Look at what he says. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You see the image of a building? In whom the whole structure being joined together grows, here it is, into a holy temple. That's us. No longer a literal building. See, that's why we keep saying this building is not the church. This building is where the church gathers. This building is not the church. God does not dwell in buildings made with hands. He dwells in people whom he has redeemed. And us collectively, Peter says, are each a stone. And we all come together and make his dwelling place. Woo! If that don't move you, you might be dead. Pinch yourself. Do, do you understand that? This is what I said when I was preparing this message. I'm asking myself, like, Ron, do you get that? That God says, when we gather like this, as his church, I am there. Watch this. 
The same way I was there when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. I'm there. Do you realize that? Wow. And I think we, for me, it made me stop and just pause and say, is that what I'm thinking when I come to this gathering? Or am I just coming to church? It's so easy just to come to church. It's Sunday, let's come to church. Well, I probably should go to church. When the high priest got up that day when it was Yom Kippur and he's putting on his ephod and his stones and he's putting on his robe about to go in and make that one-time offering a year for the sins of people. What do you think his attitude was? Eh, I'm going to put this robe on. Put my robe on. All right, let me go make this sacrifice. No, I think he was probably getting dressed real slow and thinking through. Cleanse myself first. Light the incense. Then sprinkle the bread. Cleanse myself first. I think he was somber. Because if he messed up, he dropped dead. What happened to our somberness coming into the house of God? Not because we're going to drop dead. Christ already paid. But do we have that, what has Pastor Emmanuel been preaching on? The fear of the Lord. <laughs> do we have that sense? We're not walking into Hope Community Church. We're walking into the presence of God. How, how should each step that we take into this building, we get a little more like, Man, I, this start convicting me. All right, let me open up the door. Let me get in here. Okay, turn the lights on. Click, 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 click. All right, mic check. One, two, one, two. Eh? It's almost like, Ronald, did you know who's here? <laughs> like, we don't, we don't walk in with that reverence. It's church. It's church. I'm telling you, God began to convict me. Like, do you understand that I am here in a very unique way among all my and I think what we do when we come in and we don't realize that one of the purposes of the church is God's dwelling place, we miss his presence. Again, your salvation is intact because of Jesus Christ. Amen? But you can miss his presence and what he has for you. I think about that verse where it says that all the earth be silent before God. And that's why... We do that prayer time to just, let's get our hearts in the right place here. God is here. God is here. Notice what he says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He's talking to the New Testament believers now, which you and I are a part of. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Watch this. Look at verse 22. In him, that is Jesus, you also are being built together into a what? Tabernacle. Dwelling place. For God. By the Spirit. Same theme in Genesis. I want to dwell with my people. Same theme. Today, 
I want to dwell with you. And I want to dwell with you corporately in a unique way. Do we get that? That ought to change our attitude coming in. That ought to make us say, okay, Lord, what is it that you want to say to me? Because you're going to be here in a unique way. Now, is, is God with you when you leave here? Of course he is. Of course he is. Because there are two aspects of God's dwelling that scripture makes a distinction. And this is what hit me. You know, you could be reading the Bible for so many years and then finally you, and it's like, oh my goodness, how did I miss that? Scripture makes a distinction between God dwelling with us as his people and God dwelling individually with you as a believer. Oh. So Paul's going to say, know ye not that you are the temple? That's corporately. You, meaning plural, you, plural, are the temple. That word is plural. But then he's going to go on and say, know ye not that your body is the temple? That's you individually. So there is a uniqueness to how God dwells when we all get together as believers. He said, I am among you. So the question is, what are we missing out on? What are we missing out on if God is among us? Like, if I leave here Sunday morning and I feel like, I don't know, I just, you know, whatever, it was cool, whatever, you know. You think that's what the priest felt when he went into the Holy of Holies? And he finally came out after doing his sacrifice, and, and, and everybody on the outside is like, all right, so everything went good, good. What was it like? Mm, whatever. God came down, whatever. Gave it. Whatever. No, don't be good. No, I don't think that's how the holy priest responded. The high priest. I think when he left the presence of God and came out, he was first of all grateful. Oh, thank God. Woo. Anyway, hey, man, hey, hey, high priest, what was it like? Man, I'm processing this. Just what I saw in it, man, just, mm, you need to step back. They probably, when he walked out, like Moses was like glowing. Like, oh, whoa, okay. I'm going to let you calm down for a little bit. You got that radiation glow going on. My point is, how can you be in the presence of God and not be moved? This is what I start asking myself. How can you be in the presence of God? If God is saying that I'm dwelling among you in a special, unique way, how can I be in that presence and walk out of here and not be moved? Something's wrong. And it's not that God's presence isn't here. So it's on me. So what were you thinking about the whole service? Monday morning meeting? That Friday meeting you are not looking forward to with two board members? That Wednesday meeting you're looking forward to with that teacher whose little boy never does wrong? Is that where your mind was? You missed my presence. And that's why you walk out here feeling the same way. Wow. We cannot be in the presence of God and not be changed. And this is where I love, you know, my, 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 <laughs> my dear brothers and sisters, they were around, you get a little too emotional. I think Emmanuel's been accused of that. 
Well, if I get too emotional, what does he, what does he get? But then when he and I are talking, I'm like, you know, it's so funny, but yet go to an Eagles game. And look at all those believers. Emotional. Right? If you can get emotional about your team winning the big game, don't you realize the one who created your team members is in you? Don't tell me you're not getting emotional. You ought to be getting emotional. Oh, but maybe you're not focused on yourself. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we're too focused on us. Maybe we're not focused on his glory. Maybe we're not focused on who God is and what he did. Maybe that's why we walked out of here unmoved. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Look at what Paul says. For we are the temple of the living God. Do we believe that? Again, as believers, God is dwelling right now among us as corporate believers. This is what Paul was saying. And then he quotes, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, quoting from Isaiah. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. God dwells among us. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That's plural. And that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, this next verse is sobering, and we'll, we'll talk more about this down the road. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. If that doesn't cause you pause. For God's temple is holy, and you, plural, Corinthian church, you are that temple. Again, all theology has practical outworking. So you mean that there must be a way corporately that I could destroy Hope Church. And he says, if you do, God will destroy you. Let that rest. So you've got to be asking yourself the question, God, you're dwelling among us. What does it mean to destroy your temple, which is the believers that are gathering? What does that mean? We'll come back to that. But that's sobering to me. I'll give you a hint. Because you're like, no, now I want to know because I don't want to destroy. You know one way you can destroy God's temple? Division. Division among God's people. That falls in a category of destroying his temple. See, this has so many good applications because if we really believe God is dwelling among us in a unique, special way, it ought to inform the way I treat people. How can I walk out of here and talk about you? You're part, you're one of the stones in which God dwells. So to talk about God's dwelling place like that, <laughs> you're talking about God's home, Ooh, which is us. You understand what I'm saying, guys? Is this right? I've had time to, you know, I've had all week to mull it over. God takes us who are believers gathered right now doing church. He's among us. He's dwelling among us. We are his temple. 
and it ought to, in fact, affect how you and I treat one another, knowing that God is dwelling among us. Think about this real practically, guys. Think about this. Think about some of the struggles you have in your life. Even, even if, it's, if, if it's just times where emotionally you're just, you're depressed. You just don't want to, you just don't want to go on. You're just tired. You're, 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 you're sick and tired of everything that's out there. You ever been there? Okay, well, I've been there. <laughs> okay. How would that whole mindset change if literally, everywhere you went, literally, Jesus Christ was with you? Just think about that. Like nothing would phase you. Like you're walking with Jesus in the flesh and the blood. I walk into the job. Pastor Ron, why did you let that kid, why did you discipline that kid out of the school? I thought that my blood pressure's not even moving. I got Jesus sitting right here. Jesus, are you, you getting it? I'm, I'm standing next to the creator, God. <laughs> what, what, what I care about what you're saying, and, and right? I would be like, oh, Jesus, can you give me, what, well, what should I say? Well, Ron, let your words be seasoned with grace. Okay, so, okay. Can you give me the power to do that? He puts his hand on my shoulder. I pray, I pray for my, my child. I empower you now. I'm sorry you feel that way, Graham. Perhaps this school is not the best place for your kid. I can give you a list of some other private schools. Maybe you could come here. Wow, like he was right there, right? But, but why doesn't that happen? Why didn't that happen? We so just give into our flesh. And, and what I'm saying to you, I remember saying to myself, it will be so much easier to go through life's trials, life's ups and downs, if literally Jesus was with me, like he was with the apostles. And I realized it's not true at all. We have it better than the apostles because we have the Holy Spirit in us. I start asking myself, then what's the problem? Why am I not yielding to the presence of God in my life? Because you have to yield to the presence of God in your life. It doesn't just happen. Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? Here we go. 101 again. Time in the Word. Time in prayer. Time in fasting. Time in meditation. That's how you experience walking in the spirit. We are his temple. Look at 619. Or do you not know that your body, now this is God's dwelling individually. Do you not know that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So God individually dwells with each and every one of us. Praise God. In your darkest hour, Jesus Christ is right there. He's right there. You don't have to go to the temple to experience God. He's right there in you. But then there is this unique dwelling of God when all of these individual believers come together. God says, I'm going to be among you in a special way. His hope experience. That's what we ought to be experiencing. And it's not just a, a, a good, fuzzy, warm feeling. It's an experience that literally changes my life, my perspective. My heart is changed because I've been in the presence of God. Just being in his presence encourages us. 
Just being in his presence gives us strength. But you say, but, but, but I've been coming to hope, and, and, and I'm, I'm not feeling that. Well, listen, if you're a true believer, you've trusted Christ for salvation, and, and you're not experiencing that, what are you focused on when you're here? Because God's not going to twitch your arm. And I can tell you the times where I come here and I'm weighed down with what's coming Monday morning, it is a different experience. And God is here. He says he is. I dwell among you, but I'm so focused on the next day, which, by the way, is not even the promise of this. See how Satan gets us? Yeah, focus on this. Focus on this. God says, tomorrow's not promised to you. Focus on me now. So hope, I want to encourage us. Try to change your mindset when you come Sunday morning. Don't say, I'm going to church. Don't say, I'm going to church. Tell yourself, I'm going to be in God's presence. I'm going to be in God's presence. And watch how God will just use a change of focus on him. And all of a sudden, you might just start getting a lot more out of his presence. Because when God dwells among us, it's not just for no reason. He wants to make us more like Christ. He wants to encourage us. He wants to give us wisdom for this life. He wants to, to give us that inner strength that only can come from him. And when we leave here and we don't have that, perhaps our focus has not been on him. But he's here. Amen? God, thank you for your presence. Oh, God, thank you that we don't have to go to a tabernacle and have the priest go in for us. Oh God, the, the veil has been torn in half, and we now walk into your presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God, help us to never take that for granted. And I pray that you would help us to realize that every time we gather as your church, that we are your building. You dwell among us as well as in us. Oh, God, don't let us miss that. I pray for us, Lord, that these truths would stay in our minds and hearts and begin to change our whole perspective when we gather and we worship. God, turn our thoughts towards you. Turn our passions towards you. So, Father, I pray that even as we go in the next week, if you will, you know everything that's going to go on. May we not be consumed with it, but may we be consumed with your presence, knowing you are with us. You will lead us. You will guide us. We as individuals are also your temple. And your spirit is in us to guide us, to protect us, to give us wisdom. And we pray for that, Lord, that we would leave this place. We know we're not leaving your presence, but that we would have a keen awareness every day of your presence. Oh, God, strengthen us. We are so weak in our own strength. 
Strengthen us, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit to seek your face, to spend time with you this week, to pray, to fast, to meditate on your word, to commune with you, God. We have total access, O Lord, through the blood of Christ. May we not take it for granted, but may we come into your presence oftentimes throughout the week and commune with you, O Father. God, I thank you so much for our time here today. We pray for your blessings as we go. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.